Hi, this is Pastor Schwenke from Faithway Baptist Church here in Leesburg, Virginia. Thank you for taking the time to watch this video today. My prayer is that God will speak to your heart through this message, but also that you be a part of a local Bible-believing church. If you're looking for a church home and you live in Loudoun County, we'd love to make your acquaintance. Please stop by one of our services Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We have a Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. as well. We'd love to get to know you and introduce you to our Faithway family. If there's anything that we can do for you, please reach out. But for right now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you could take them and turn to 2 Timothy, is where we are at, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And we are going through a very interesting passage of Scripture. If this is your first time here at Faithway Baptist Church, I want to let you know, and I don't know if we have any first-time visitors, maybe a couple of times you've been around, but most of you are familiar with what, how we go through the Bible. This is a passage of Scripture that most commentaries like to skip right over because it, it just is very awkward sounding. In fact, it's one of those passages that most pastors don't like to preach. And you just go on to the next chapter because it's a lot more fun to preach those uh, chapter number four. Well, we're, we're going through this chapter verse by verse, and there's really no way that we can avoid it. And so if you're visiting, know that I didn't randomly pick these verses and just decide that this is what we're going to preach on on a Sunday morning, all right? That's the caveat here today, and I think you'll understand it a little bit more as we get into it here this morning. Um, but there is a, a, a text here today, I think, that is very apropos for us in our life, that if we learn these lessons, it will help us on our journey as we seek to walk with the Lord. Once upon a time, whenever I start with a once upon a time, you know it's not a true story, right? It's a fairy tale. But once upon a time in a large kingdom far, far, far away, there was a good and wise king who wanted to make sure that all of his subjects knew how much he loved him. So he sent his son, the crown prince, to the largest town with a special message. And when the prince arrived in the town, all the townspeople greeted him with joy, calling out his name and cheering him with their loudest voices. The prince sat on top of his majestic white horse where everybody could see him, and he made this pronouncement. My good people, your gracious king wants you to know how much he loves each and every one of you. So he sent me with some wonderful news to give you a, and to give you a wonderful job to do. The wonderful news is that there is to be a great banquet inside the halls, the walls rather, of the royal palace, and all of you are invited. At this, all the people in the town square cheered and hugged each other with great joy. Someone shouted out, Prince, is there anything that we can do to get ready for this banquet? The prince said, only one thing, I have one job for you. The king has asked you to be his messengers to spread the good news of the banquet throughout all the towns and all the villages in the kingdom. Everybody is invited. No one is to be missed. The banquet will be in four weeks, and, and you will, so you have plenty of time to get everybody here. The banquet is free, and everyone is welcome to come and experience the finest foods and the most delicious drinks you've ever experienced. The people cheered again, and, and, and the prince rode off into the, with a wave and with a laugh. And the townspeople were thrilled beyond um, anything they ever... This special mission the king gave them, they were going to go to the palace. This was amazing. And so the people immediately began to go from town to town, village to village, even door to door, sharing this wonderful news... They had never been inside the royal palace before, and they could not wait to go. The messengers that went to the far-off villages, they were treated, treated with great respect and joy. Some of them were even given gifts by grateful people for the good news that they carried. Everyone was so excited, and the entire kingdom was traveling towards the royal palace for this banquet. 
On that great day, the drawbridge was lowered down and all the people streamed into the enormous palace. Everybody from the kingdom came. Not a single person was missing. Old men, young children, wives, grandmas, everybody was there. Most of the people had never even been into the royal city before, and certainly no one had ever been invited inside of the royal palace. So their eyes were wide with astonishment as they looked at the high walls and the beautiful decorations. And then everybody in the kingdom sat down for a feast, and it lasted for two weeks. At the end of the feast, the king stood up and said, I am so filled with joy that y'all have come. I've decided that none of you ever need to go back to your fields or to your shops again. But you can just stay and work with me here in the royal palace. This will be your permanent home. All of your needs will be met. The people couldn't believe their ears, and they broke out with a joyful shout of praise to the king for his generosity. And they all lived happily ever after in the royal city. The end. Now, that's a fairy tale. And you may wonder, what in the world does that have to do with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13? Our text this morning, verses 6 through 12. My answer is absolutely nothing. You say, well, why did you just waste our time telling us this story? Well, as a matter of fact, the story I just, I just told you stands actually in direct contrast to what Paul tells Timothy to expect as he preaches the gospel. It also stands in contrast to a very similar parable that Jesus told. He told the story of a wedding banquet, but nobody wanted to come to it. And everywhere the messengers went, rather than being lauded and praised and, 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 and given gifts, the messengers meant nothing but trouble. Now, children certainly enjoy fairy tales, but us adults, we want the real thing, right? I mean, fiction is one thing, but we want the real deal. And we want reality. We want truth. And Jesus tells us truth. The night before he died, he told his disciples exactly what they would face as they spread the gospel. He said, if they hated me, guess what they're going to do to you? They're going to hate you. But be of good cheer, because in this world, I'm paraphrasing, but in this world there is tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Paul warns the church, he says, in the last days, men are going to stray far from God. They will look religious on the outside, but inside... They're going to be impure, they're going to be proud, and they are going to be certainly cruel. And so we're there this morning in 2 Timothy, our text here today, chapter number 3. I want us to go back and look at verse number 5. We looked at this last week, but just for context, back up to verse number 5. Paul says, at the end times, people will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. So what Paul says, Timothy, these are the guys you got to look out for. And then in verse number six, Paul is going to take a peek into the future. And what he is going to do is he is going to warn Timothy about people who already have been working character traits in the church in their lives. Look at verse number six. Remember I told you that this is a verse that a lot of people like to skip over because it's just not, well, it's an interesting verse. For this sort are they which creep into houses and leads captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. All right, I'm going to try to do my best to explain this verse to you. Remember, everything in the Bible is about context, because you can take one verse, you know, uh, Judas went out and hung himself, and then you can take another verse, go thou and do likewise, right? And you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you're not careful. So it's all about context. 
And I want to carefully explain this verse to you, lest you walk away here thinking the Bible is a misogynist book, right? That it's anti-women or something like that. It's not. There's a very clear explanation here in our text. I want you to notice, first of all, the Greek word there, it says, which creep into houses. The word creep there means to, to put on, to, to enter. It's usually in the Bible associated with putting on a piece of clothing, like you're going to slip on a dress or slip on a robe. Um, the Bible talks about how, you know, there were people that would slip into the churches, wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. That's the idea there. There's an old Arab parable about a man who allows his camel to stick his nose into the tent. And then before you know it, the rest of the camel is allowed to enter into the tent, right? The nose starts, and then before you know it, all of the camel is in your tent. So the Arab proverb goes like this, beware of the camel's nose. Why? Because if you're not careful, one thing will lead to another thing. Well, our verse says that it, 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 what happens is they will sneak, they will, they will come into the, they will enter, they will creep into houses and lead captive. Um, that, that word lead captive means to make uh, captive with a spear. It's like to, to hold somebody at gunpoint and say, you're coming with me. And so if you're using a weapon to capture something, there's force involved in that. And a lot of times, Timothy uses this in a very negative way. But the verse that Josh read earlier today as we started our service in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity. There's that word in a positive sense, okay? So as a Christian, when sinful thoughts enter into our mind, we are to take forcefully with a spear and get rid, so to speak, of that thought from our mind. We're to cast it out of our presence. So this is an awesome picture for the believer. We don't have to be frightened by our own lustful thoughts. But we as Christians, because of the power of God inside of us, have the ability to point the spear back at sin and take those thoughts captive by obeying, the Bible says, the obedience of Christ by obeying Christ. Now, back to our text in First Tim or Second Timothy chapter number 3. It says, these are false teachers who are preying on vulnerable people. The word silly women there uh, literally means little women. It's, it's the idea of people. I, I know it uses the word women there, but it's the idea of people who are so um, ashamed of the way they've lived their life. The condemnation for their sin. Maybe they've been leading a lifestyle of sin up until this point, And these false teachers use guilt to manipulate people into going down bad paths. One of the marks of a cult, hear me this morning, is a leader, usually it's a, a, someone that is filled with himself, e egomaniacal guy, right? It's somebody who is all about me. He, he is very good at manipulating people to do what he wants them to do. And so he will manipulate people who are guilty and he will use their guilt like a spear to make them captives. The cults of our day and age, people easily get trapped into these mind games. If you've ever seen anything on Scientology, just amazing how people can get so wrapped up. And you're talking Hollywood stars, right? People just get their mind wrapped around these cults. And there's this indoctrination. And they'll find people who are laden down with sin and guilt. And rather than saying your guilt can be forgiven by Jesus Christ and offering them a solution to their sin, they say, follow me. And you're following and obeying me without question is the answer. And so in the Greek there, that, that word silly woman is a, is a compound word. It's a, it's a word that means 
a, a little woman. It's used contemptuously. It's, and then you have the word there, laden. And so you have, the, the, there are silly women who are laden. There are people who are guilty, who are um, overcome with their sins. And the Bible says they are led away by diverse lusts. You know what lusts are, right? Lusts are things that we want that are forbidden. And so these gullible people, in verse number 6, are led astray by false teachers who are exploiting the cravings and the lusts of these women. And, and you know what's often very interesting? Whenever you, not always, but 95% of the time, when you see a cult, there is something in that leader that is, yes, he has a big ego, and yes, he is certainly narcissistic, but there is usually an inappropriate relationship with members of the opposite gender. It's almost always involved in that. And so there is that, that lust that a man has, and that is that preying on, no, uh, on people that are guilty, people of guilty consciences. That's what Paul is saying. In the latter times, you're going to see a rise of cults who prey upon innocent people, and they bring them into their fold, thinking they're going to get help, but really they are trapped in, in this cult leader. In Paul's day, the heresy was called Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnostics. You may have heard that before. A Gnostic believed that they had special knowledge of God. And if you wanted to know the special knowledge that I possess as a leader of the Gnostic faith, then it's going to cost you. And if you want to know my special knowledge, then you have to give your body to me, or you have to do this, or you have to give money in the offering plate. Whatever it might be, the special knowledge of God is going to cost you. And Gnostics taught that there's nothing wrong for a Christian to indulge in every sin imaginable because the body, when you die, the body goes into the ground and your soul's going to go into heaven so what you do with your body is completely divorced with your soul. There's no, you know, there's nothing there that ties the body and the soul together. And that was, that's what was going on in Paul's day. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy's there in Ephesus and he's battling with the Gnostics in the church. The Gnostics say, live and do whatever you want to do. Follow me. Live for your carnal, lustful pleasures and all will be fine. And Paul told Timothy, though, he's like, no, we war against the lust that war. There, there are lusts that war against the soul and we fight against those things. Well, it's not just the Gnostics, by the way. In modern era, the modern era in which we are living today, um, a couple hundred years ago, a guy by the name of Joseph Smith. Anyone ever heard of him before? He's touted as a, a prophet. But don't forget that in, in establishing his new religion, he began to espouse marriage with multiple wives. It, it wasn't until 2014 that the Mormon church uh, finally officially admitted that he had more than 40 wives. One of his wives was as young as 14. Now, you can't tell me that that is a spiritual reason for having 40 wives, right? What is he doing? He's manipulating through his narcissistic behavior people who are guilty and people who are innocent into following him. His, his, his uh, successor, Brigham Young, had 55 wives um, in the early 90s. Remember Janet Reno and Bill Clinton and the whole David Koresh, the Branch Davidian thing that took place, right? Um, David Koresh practiced polygamy. Now, we're not sure how many wives he actually had, but he said in an interview that he was entitled, according to his belief, to have 140 wives, 60 queens, as he called them, and 80 concubines. Well, I want you to notice what Paul said about this. This is, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 22. 
Paul says, Timothy, as a pastor, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you realize one of the qualifications for a pastor is easy to be the husband of one wife? And that means in the Greek, it means a one-woman man. That means he's not to have affections for other ladies. He's not to be looking everywhere else. He's to be a one-woman man. And by the way, that should be the qualification for every married husband in our church. Right? We are not going out and trying to find our, be satisfied somewhere else. That is what God says here. Timothy, flee youthful lusts. And the reason why these people are leading them astray is because they are vulnerable. And I want you to look at verse number 7 in your text. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse number 7. About these people... They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word ever there means at all times. They're just constantly coming up with new stuff. Why? Because the old stuff isn't good anymore. Because there's holes in it. There's problems with it. Because I want to be able to do, do things that I wasn't allowed to do before, so I come up with a new revelation from God. That's what Paul's teaching here. Learning there means to be appraised, to increase of your knowledge, to be informed. And so it's a... A knowledge that is never satisfied. It's talking about gullible people who have been led astray and they have absolutely no discernment. Some of you may remember one of the first deacons in our church, a guy by the name of Pat Zandy. He was a blessing to me. He's with the Lord now, passed away of cancer age of 50, early, early in his 50s, just a few years back. But Pat used to give me books. And some of you know I enjoy coffee. And so Pat gave me a book called When God Goes to Starbucks. And it's actually a really good book. It's a book on apologetics, and it breaks down common subjects of today. And it's coffeehouse discussions that I've had with people, and maybe you've had them as well, questions that people have about theology and about the Bible. Like one of the questions in there, he takes an entire chapter, and he's like, well, why does, you know, Psalm, talk in the book of Psalms, it talks um, imprecatory prayers, where David calls down judgment on his enemies. And he talks about questions that people have in today's day and age. Well, in this book, I found it last night, um, the author, he, he says that there is a, um, he uses an illustration to talk about a guy by the name of Ed Faubert. Now, you may have never heard of Ed Faubert before, but Ed is what you would call um, a cupper. Now, Andrew probably knows what a cupper is. Maybe some of you who enjoy coffee know what a cupper is, but in layman's terms, a cupper is a coffee taster, all right? And this guy has taste buds that are so dialed in, his taste buds are actually certified by the state of New York, okay? So refined are Faubert's sense of taste for coffee. They gave him a test. It's on YouTube. You can pull it up and see. He, he took one sip of this coffee and not only did he tell the people there that it was from Guatemala, not only did he know what state in Guatemala it was from, but he knew what altitude it was grown at and exactly what mountain it was grown on. All right? The gullible person does not take time to dial in his taste buds to the truth of God's word. Right? He doesn't study to show himself approved unto God. The poor women and the men who are who are led astray, follow after the false teachers, and they want to learn more and more and more, but their learning never satisfies them. And that is the life of a person who is caught in a cult. Whether it's Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the list could go on and on. But in our culture today, 
This would fit, you know, there are so many people that are out there that are being led astray. Look at verse number 8. Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. Maybe you've never heard their names before. That's because this is the only time in the Bible their names are mentioned. And they are the ones, according to rabbinical tradition, so this would be the rabbis in the Old Testament, they wrote down, not Bible, but they wrote down their thoughts. The rabbis said that these were the ones, the magicians who withstood Moses back when Moses stood before Pharaoh. Remember, Moses put his hand into his... uh, into his coat and it came out leprous and the magicians did the exact same thing and they took a staff and he threw it down and the magicians copied those tricks and so they say that those are the names of the magicians that withstood Moses when he was in Pharaoh's court and so if that is true he gives an illustration these men also resist truth now if you look at the tense of that verb that verse it's very interesting because it's present these guys are presently resisting truth it's a continual action and so these men are corrupt in their faith. The word reprobate there, um, it was just up on the screen there, but it means not standing the test. It's, if you were a shopkeeper in Jesus' day and somebody gave you a silver shekel, you would test that shekel to make sure that it wasn't fake, that it wasn't, if it was a gold coin, that wasn't fool's gold. And so in that verse, back to that verse in verse number eight, it says that these are people here who have resisted the faith they've resisted the truth and and they don't want to go any further in knowing what is good and healthy doctrine look at verse number nine but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was their folly shall be manifest unto all men folly is just express it's a it's a want of understanding it's madness expressing itself in rage and according to rabbinical tradition, right? This isn't Bible, but according to the tradition of the Jewish people, Janus and Jambres, these two guys mentioned in verse number eight, could not keep up with the miracles of God through Moses. And so the folly of their cultish behavior was exposed. Joseph Smith, if you know the history of Mormonism, he translated the Book of Mormon from what he called a reformed Egyptian. Now, that's easy to claim, until historians tell us there's no such thing. He claimed that he translated the book of Abraham from a scrap of material from a mummy, and that was easy to claim until scholars learned how to actually translate Egyptian. (laughs) And then they realized that Joseph Smith was just a bunch of hot air. The truth, what the Bible is saying here, is the truth will eventually come out as long as you are willing to have your taste buds dialed in to know whether or not something is true. Listen, someone may come knocking on your door tomorrow and they might invite you to their church or to their worship, place of worship. And you may say, yes, that sounds good, that sounds right. In fact, you may turn on even Christian television and you may see some preacher up there expounding on the truth or what his truth is. Your responsibility is to take what they say and to run it through the filter of God's word. By the way, I strongly encourage you never to take what I say at face value. Say, can you trust? I hope you can trust me. But... It's not my word, it's the word of God that is to be your standard for your life. So you take what I say, you run it through the plumb line of scripture, you make sure what the Bible says matches what I say, and that is what is truth. And so as long as you are willing to do the work, the truth will eventually come out. You know, we're surprised every time a crazy cult pops up, but there's really nothing new. You remember about 25 years ago, um, Vandertals might remember this in California, but you probably, everyone remembers this. There was a, a crazy cult group called Heaven's Gate. 
And 39 people committed suicide thinking that they were joining some spaceship on one of the comets up there. You remember that when all that happened a few years back? And, and why would 39 people take their lives? Because they sincerely believed that they were going to be united with the alien spaceship. And here's the thing. It happened in the past. Right now in the present, there are some crazy cults that are out there. And, and Paul's saying in the future, false teachers are going to pop up. Right? In Paul's day, and, and rather in the Old Testament days, it was Janus and Jamboree. In Paul's days, it was the Gnostics. Today, you got the Mormons, the JWs, and the Heaven's Gate cults, and all of those other people that are taking the truth of God's word and twisting it. Now, in the following verses, we're going to see the challenge for Timothy to, in the church to endure. Follow with me this morning. I'm going to give you seven quick principles here about what discipleship truly is. Verse number 10. Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, that's the way I live, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, charity, and patience. I want you to see verse number 10. We're going to break this down for you. Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine. In other words, Timothy, I have taught you what the Bible says to be true, and you have followed me. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what discipleship is all about. And what I'm going to do here this morning is give you a list of what we ought to be doing in reproducing Faithway Baptist Church for the next generation. Discipleship, all right? It's defined as this. Not just what a teacher works to pass on to a student, but what the student is careful to learn and replicate. Illustrate this for you. When I was in college, I had a lot of professors. And some of my professors graduated from the university or the college that I went to. And then they went on and got their masters from the same school. And while they were working on their masters, they were student aides. Then they went on and got their PhD. And then they came back and they taught at the school. They had no real world experience. You ever met somebody like that, right? A lot of head knowledge. But when I'm trying to tell you how to practically do something, well, I've never done it myself. So here's what the book says. Here's what I've learned. But there's not a lot of real life stories. You know, the guys that I really, I mean, even there's some ladies that were the teachers that I really enjoyed were the ones that had actually been in the trenches that had done that. Been there, done that. Let me tell you stories about this truth. So here's what we're teaching you, but I can illustrate it with this in my own life, in my professional career. I learned more from those guys than I ever learned from somebody that had a bunch of head knowledge. That's what discipleship is. Paul says, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine. You've examined, you've investigated me. You've seen me the way that I live and you know I'm not a fraud. Paul has invested his life in Timothy. Question for you this morning. Somebody invested their life in you. Who is the Timothy in your life? You understand this morning that discipleship is so important. If you're not taking the faith that's been instilled in you and teaching somebody else, the Christian faith is just going to die. It's not going to be a next generation of Faithway Baptist Church because, number one, discipleship involves teaching. Number two, discipleship, Paul says here in this text, involves not just what, how you actually live your life, but it's, it's how you actually live your life, not just what you say. See what that phrase there, that phrase manner of life, that means your conduct. It's the, the way that you are when nobody else sees you behind closed doors. I've heard so many stories about pastors that are one way on Sunday morning and they're completely opposite at home. And, and I know that, I, I pray that that's not true with people here in our church, but I can just imagine with the statistics the way that they are, that there are some of you who come to church and you put on a good front, you put on a carry your Bible with you, but when you go home Monday through Saturday, you're someone that's completely different. That is not discipleship in the faith. You can't expect your kids to have the faith that you do not have. 
Number three, discipleship involves sharing a vision, helping the younger person develop a godly purpose in their life. If I can accomplish one thing with my kids, it's this. I want them to know God's will for their life. Now, if they want, if they want to go into the ministry, that's great. If they want to go into the business world, that's great. If they want to be a teacher, that's great. Whatever the Lord wants for them, I'm fine with it. Whatever that is. But I want them to have God's purpose for their life. And as a Christian, your job is to go and find other people who need to get saved, lead them to Jesus Christ, and disciple them, and help them fulfill God's purpose for their life. Number four, discipleship involves setting an example when it comes to trusting God. Now, this is very difficult to do, because when everything is going well, when everything is functioning normally in your house and in your life, then things are easy. It's easy to trust God, right? Uh, Manny, I've, Manny told me this morning about the problem that they had at their house. Sherry and Manny's house, they had a bunch of sewage that was at the end of their driveway. There was a pipe crack right at the manifold, right at the junction where the sewage goes out into the main pipe and it goes out into the town, wherever it goes. Right there, it had cracked. And so raw sewage was just bubbling over, right? And it was... It was just coming out and oozing, and the neighbors accused Manny and Sherry of stinking up the neighborhood, <laughs> which they probably normally do that anyways, but, well, at least Manny does, Sherry, you don't, but, you know. So they had this problem, right? And it, it, thankfully, hopefully, it's going to be covered because it's in the public right away. But, you know, a, a thing like that, when you have a crew of people with machines out there, that could cost thousands and thousands of dollars. You say, Lord, where am I going to get that money from? Right, some people, when they face an unexpected breakdown of their car and a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollar repair bill, they panic, right? And they start fretting and they start worrying and they start complaining. And other people say, okay, Lord, it's your money. You're going to provide it. It's your house. It's your things. It's your kids. It's yours. Whatever you want to do with it, do with it what you will. Discipleship involves setting an example when it comes to trusting God. Number five, discipleship involves the example of how you put up with difficult people. Right, Paul says, Timothy, you've known my long suffering. That means patience under pressure. There's a lot of difficult people in your church, Timothy. Yes, there are. There's a lot of people that want to tell you how to run the church, Timothy. Yes, they will. Timothy, long suffering, patience as a pastor. That's what discipleship is. Number six, discipleship involves setting the example of unconditional love, making the choice to value people. That's what Paul says there in verse number 10. Right, the word charity there is brotherly love, it's affection, benevolence, it's, it's learning not to quit when times get tough. I value people. And the discipleship example continues in verse number 11. Look at that verse. Persecutions, afflictions which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Discipleship number seven involves actually going through difficult times for the sake of following Jesus Christ. You know when the rubber meets the road? I have found, I have taken people through a discipleship course, I, through the history of our church, probably done it 15, 20 times. Sit down and I walk people through a discipleship course, A to Z, 26 lessons on how to walk with God. And I will bring them through that. And you know what happens? You go through the new stages of being a Christian and you're on your honeymoon period with God, so to speak, right? Everything is great, but then trouble comes. And when trouble comes knocking on someone's door, you find out whether their faith is real 
or whether it's just seed that was cast and sprung up and then dies quickly. I've seen it multiple, multiple times where people say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But when tough times come, they forsake. Discipleship involves going through the fire. And Timothy, you watched me, Paul says, get shipwrecked. You watched me when I was stoned to death. And he gives Timothy some specific examples. You notice in verse number 11, there's three cities that are listed. He said, well, why would Paul give those three cities? Because who's the audience? Young Timothy. Timothy knew exactly what happened at these three cities. At Antioch, Paul and Barnabas show up, and the Jews became so envious of their popularity that they ran Paul and Barnabas out of town. Well, they left Antioch, and the next place they came was a place called Iconium. And then Paul and Barnabas, they moved to Iconium, and the unbelieving Jews at Iconium stirred up trouble for Paul and Barnabas. And so they were going to have Barnabas and Paul stoned, and so they left Iconium and they came to Lystra. You say, well, what's the big deal about Lystra? Lystra was where Timothy was born and raised. This is probably the first time that Paul laid eyes on young Timothy. Now, did Timothy get saved at this moment? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But at Lystra, things got very interesting. Paul met a guy who had been crippled from birth. And Paul heals the man. And the people at Lystra began to proclaim that Paul and Barnabas must be the god Zeus and Hermes. And they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. Well, you know the story from the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas said, no, we're not going to be worshipped. And so instead they preached the gospel. People got saved. And that's where we believe that Timothy's grandmother and mother trusted Christ as her savior. And so they got saved. The church was born. And it was about that time that the unbelieving Jews from Antioch and Iconium... They followed Paul and Barnabas, and they show up at Lystra, and they stirred up the crowd, and the crowd stoned Paul and left him for dead. That's Lystra, the town that stoned the apostle Paul. And at the time of Paul's first journey, as I mentioned earlier, Timothy was just a kid. That's why he says in verse number 11, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. You know what Paul is saying? Timothy, as a young man, you watched with your own eyes as I suffered persecutions. Faithway family, there are Timothys that are watching you. You know, we usually hope in our life that we'll be successful. We hope that at the end of our lives, our retirement age, that our 401ks and our investments will be at the place where we can retire in the lap of luxury for the rest of our life. We usually hope that we will succeed and that we are blessed by God. But ladies and gentlemen, you know when you're going to make the most influence on somebody is not when you're successful, but it's when you fail. Because when you fail, other people are watching you very closely. I believe that I can handle the tough times because of the power that God gives me. And I know that when I go through difficult times, that is when people will be watching with a microscope how I handle those difficult days. Will I, like the Apostle Paul, handle it with long-suffering, with charity and patience, even when I'm in the midst of the fire? Hey, can I ask you this morning, who's your Timothy? Okay, you've you got to identify a Timothy in your life. If, you're not, if you don't have someone that you're training and mentoring and discipling, you've got to find somebody because that's the biblical mandate to propagate the faith. We need to be investing our lives in other people. There is a Timothy out there, and he is watching you. Look at verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is the will of God 
If you, if you live for God, verse number 13, you're going to, if you live for him, you're going you're gonna to suffer persecution. This is verse 12 up there on the screen. How many of you, this is your favorite verse in the Bible? <laughs> is this anybody's favorite verse, right? Yay, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm going to write that down. That's going to be my life verse. No. We want verses like, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, right? I can do all things through Christ which strengthen in me. But right living brings trouble. Paul didn't just tell Timothy this. He lived this before Timothy. And Timothy would die knowing exactly what happened. I shared with you back as we began our time together how Timothy would die. He didn't die of cancer. He didn't die of a heart attack. He didn't die of old age. Timothy was beaten to death by a group, a mob of people with clubs. And then he lay on his deathbed, suffering with his injuries for a couple of days until he finally passed away from his injury. When trouble comes out of the blue, sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And sometimes we mistakenly even ask, what did I do to deserve this, God? I mean, what lesson are you trying to teach me? The truth is this, Faithway family, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, when you step up to serve the Lord, expect to find pushback from Satan every single time. Here's why. Because if the enemy can discourage you from being an effective servant of God, then he wins. A few years ago, I was reading an article in a Christian magazine about a courageous believer in North Korea. Now, I don't know if you know anything about North Korea. It's not like South Korea. North Korea, if you're a Christian, that's a death sentence immediately. But before you die, they, they torment you, right? They, they put you in one of their re-education centers. They don't re-educate you. They, they, they basically torment you until you die. And this was an article about an anonymous North Korean believer who would smuggle Bibles all around his country. On the border between Korea, North Korea, and China, day and night, soldiers from both armies are just vigilantly watching their borders through high-powered field glasses as they control traffic because it's very limited between these two countries. If you're approaching from the Chinese side of things, the checkpoints, travel moves at a snail's pace because of the high security and very few people are allowed to cross the border uh, because it's heavily fortified. I mean, they figured out how to fortify their border, right? But behind the Korean border, the situation's not much different. There are, in Korea, there are checkpoints everywhere. You can't even travel within a city without going through checkpoints. It's almost impossible to do that. But there's one man who goes around the country. And to those of us in the West, we, he's simply known as the Traveler, is what they call him. And the Traveler is one of the people within the, the state of the country of North Korea that distributes Bibles, commentaries, things to help people grow in their walk with God. And despite the ever-present danger of being exposed and facing the death penalty, the Traveler is an unpretentious and simple man. According to the author of the article who interviewed this man, he, he looks like a blue-collar factory worker. We think of someone like that as like the James Bond of North Korea. No, that's not what he looks like. He's unpretentious. There's nothing special about him. He's adept at blending in. He's vigilant and he's decisive. It's a matter of survival for, them, for him, and he's done this for years. And yet nobody, even the publisher of this newspaper, even knows his real name. In fact, we'll probably never know his name until we get to heaven. It, because if his secret work done on the behalf of God's people were ever to be dis discovered, it would mean a very brutal death sentence for him immediately. But when he was interviewed anonymously for this Christian newspaper or this Christian um, magazine, 
The reporter said, sir, how can we in the United States, how can we pray for the church in North Korea? And according to the author of the article, this man started to cry. And the traveler told of a church movement that has had to remain underground since the 1950s. And in order to wipe out Christianity in the face of the land, Kim Il-sung, who was the great-grandfather, the grandfather of the current president there, herded entire congregations into the streets. And he ran them over with bulldozers. Thousands of men and women and children were literally crushed to death. The remains were used to line the roadbeds throughout the surrounding cities. Today, under Kim's grandson, this traveler estimated that there are over 240,000 believers who are direct descendants of those who are left behind. And he told, this art, this, he told the interviewer, he said, the believers in North Korea are praying focused with one purpose, to be in place and fulfill God's purpose for their life. Their prayer is for liberation, for lifting of the darkness. So in spite of the dangers, the traveler continues to risk his life in order to equip people with Bibles and to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. You know, sometimes in America, we're a little hesitant to stick out our necks for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're afraid of what people in the cubicle might think. We're afraid, well, we might lose our job. We, in fact, we might even be canceled, right, if we share the gospel. We're afraid of those things. Maybe we shouldn't be so scared when we compare our lives to the lives of people that are suffering around the world. Discipleship. Remember the definition I gave you of that? Discipleship is not just what a teacher works to pass on to a student, but what the student is careful to learn and to replicate. Is your Timothy learning from you to replicate your walk with God? Discipleship. Seven principles. Just really quickly. we recap them here today. Discipleship involves teaching. It involves how you actually live your life, not just what you say. It involves sharing your vision of helping the younger person develop a godly purpose in their life. And I say younger person, it doesn't necessarily have to be a younger person. I've, you know, discipled people who are much older than I am, but it's a younger in the faith. Discipleship involves setting an example when it comes to trusting God. Discipleship involves the example of how you put up with difficult people. Discipleship involves setting the example of unconditional love, making the choice to value people. And it actually, number seven, involves going through difficult times for the sake of following Jesus. Yea, and all them that are godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Faithway family, the time is coming. I don't know when, but maybe not too long until we suffer for our faith in Christ. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have, but it won't be too long until we suffer persecution for our faith. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe you're thinking and entertaining and looking at some cult or some group or something like that and saying, well, that sounds really cool. Like, it sounds interesting, intriguing. Can I encourage you, when you hear somebody give you a new idea, run it through the filter of God's Word. Dial in your taste buds to know what the Bible says to be true. And then, secondly today, who is your Timothy? Discipleship. Training others is a very detailed process, but it will be worth it when you get to heaven if we're faithful at doing what God has called us to do. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you this morning that you would help us to examine our own hearts. Are we faithfully studying the Word of God to know that the things that are said here from this pulpit are true? That the truths that people say are their truths are in, in fact matching up with the Word of God? Or are they the ideas of man? And Lord, finally, I pray this morning that 
we would all as Christians be discipling and training someone else in the way of Jesus Christ. The people would look at us and they would see not a fraud, not a hypocrite, not someone that is consumed of what they can get, but someone that's willing to lay down their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be faithful. This morning, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'd like to give you an opportunity in a time of prayer to talk to God. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has moved in your heart through these difficult verses that we've had to look at this morning, but I do know that the Bible is inspired by God, and His Holy Spirit is the one that can convict us and convert us, and He's the one that's going to help us grow in our discipleship opportunities. And so this morning, maybe you just need to take some time and pray for that person that you're working with. Mom and Dad, that's your children, right? You have a responsibility to teach your children about the Lord. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you don't have a Timothy, so to speak. Maybe this morning you need to pray that God would give you a Timothy that you can invest your life in and train them up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning, would you take some time and talk back to him and ask him to give you the strength you need to live a life pleasing to him. As the piano plays, would you take some time to talk to God? this morning we've considered our walk with you and we've considered those that are following behind us in the faith. I pray that we would do what it takes to live a life that is godly before others so that way people would not have an excuse um, to not live a Christian life but that you would be pleased with them. Lord, I ask you today that we would be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you made it through one of our sermons here at Faithway Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If there's anything that we can do for you or your family, please let us know. You can find out more information about our church on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and then also on Instagram, I believe. And we try to post an update on what's going on here at Faithway. We're in Leesburg, Virginia, and you can visit us in person if you live in Loudoun County. But if there's anything that we can pray for you about, we get prayer requests literally from all around the world. And so if we can pray for you or your family, go to our Facebook page, submit a request, go to our, our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com, click on the prayer request link, and then submit that. And we'll, it'll get to my desk, and we will be praying for you, and we will do the best that we can to help you and your family out. So please let us know if there's ever anything that we can do for you. Thank you for joining us today. May God bless you.